Throughout this episode, you'll hear occasional dynamically placed advertisements as well as host-read ads by me promoting the work of my sponsors, similar to what you'd experience when you're binging your favorite YouTube content. If you find the ads disruptive, consider joining my community on Patreon. Premium submarines receive full-length ad-free episodes, hundreds of hours of bonus content, and the ability to connect and chat with other listeners. To learn more, visit patreon.com slash backfromtheborderline. Welcome to Back from the Borderline, the podcast that helps anyone who identifies with the symptoms of BPD overcome their biggest obstacle, themselves. I'm your host, Molly, and I'm here to help you see that anyone, including you, can come back from the borderline. Hello, everyone. It's another episode, another week. I hope you are having a fantastic day, night, morning, wherever you may be partaking in my voice right now. Right off the bat today, I want to play a listener voicemail that I received that I thought deserved a little bit of TLC. And then we're going to jump straight into today's topic, which is how to support someone you love who has BPD. Strategies and techniques for parents, partners, loved ones, friends, This podcast is directed at people who identify with BPD themselves, but what I have found by all of the voicemails and emails and communication I've received from so many people who love someone who identifies with BPD, there are so many allies and supporters that tune into this podcast, and I want to give all of you a huge shout out because just as it's important that those of us who identify with BPD we got to do, I say, 80% of the work on our end. It really helps when you as the person who loves us understands the way we tick, maybe understand some triggers because it's so easy for altercations to just take on a life of their own, especially when we're in the early phases of our recovery. And I like to say, you know, I don't like making it just about the person with BPD being the problem of the relationship, oftentimes a couple of people have trauma bonded with one another and your traumas are bumping up against one another. So it is always a good idea to get to know ourselves, you, the, the ally, the person who loves someone with BPD, and us, those of us who identify with BPD too, because it's so easy to make someone the problem. And there are more than one person in a relationship or in a family There is this concept in therapy called the identified patient, the IP, and it's essentially kind of the person that the family systems identify as the problem. If you are coming at a situation where you want to quote unquote fix the problem person, you're already not really on the right foot. The best way to approach learning about someone who identifies with BPD symptomology is approaching it with a curious, open mind, wanting to learn about the person that you love and wanting to help that person understand you and what you need more. It's a mutual learning. And if both of you aren't willing to take part in that, it's highly unlikely that a lot of this stuff is going to help you long term because 
if we're in relationships where we feel like we're just trying to survive someone who we think is a problem or trying to fix them when they're not really on board, we're not going to get very far. I, for example, when Zaz told me that he felt emotionally abused by me, that was a huge turning point in our relationship where I could have either gone down one of two roads, one of them saying doing what I normally did, which is like flying off the handle and making it a huge problem and convincing myself that he was going to leave me and exploding, or another road that I ended up choosing, which was something's got to change. I want to learn about myself. I want to find a way where I don't experience life as such a chaotic, painful thing. And I wanted to find a new way to live and exist. And I wanted this. And if that wouldn't have been the case, and if it was just Zaz trying to look up a million things about BPD and armchair diagnose me and try to fix me and be writing on Reddit threads, like all these Reddit threads I see on like BPD loved ones, some of the tone on there, I'm like, no wonder these people aren't getting very far. And also if you're spending all of your time writing about how toxic your partner is or was on a Reddit, you're clearly not doing work on yourself either. And if you're, this is why I also take issue with a lot of these like narcissistic abuse threads as well, where it's like, we're spending so much time armchair diagnosing another human being when most of our focus in our lives should really be figuring out what do we need? What are my needs? How can I communicate this to the people around me? How can I create strong, firm boundaries to make sure that I can take care of myself and clearly state my needs? And when they're not being met, I'm confident to be able to articulate those in a nonviolent, constructive manner and stand by those, stand by those morals, stand by those principles. Do I know who I am? Do I know what I want and what I need? And interestingly enough, that's not very common, but the beautiful part about this is, is that we can work on it and we can work on it in partnership and in concert with the people we love. That's what Zaz and I are doing. That's what my really good friend Mel and her partner Steve are doing. I have so many people in my life that are working on stuff. There is no relationship or partnership that's perfect out of the box. So I hope that this served as a good intro here and we are going to be listening to a youtube video today by dr elise snipes called supporting loved ones with bpd i loved the format last week where i played this youtube video of the interview with the young woman who with a fresh bpd diagnosis from soft white underbelly and I had never seen the YouTube video before and I just live reacted and that's what I'm going to do here with this video with Dr. Donnelly Snipes and what I love is I'll be able to play a professional's perspective and then contrast it with my own perspective and experience kind of pause it and react in real time and I hope that this is super beneficial for all of you out there. I have received countless emails, voicemails from so many of you listeners telling me that listening to my podcast episodes with someone you love has been so incredibly healing and a really good thing to do is to take this episode for example to a friend partner family member and say 
hey, I identify with these traits. Would you be willing to sit down and listen to this episode with me? I really think it will help you understand the way I tick and we can game plan together about how we may approach it the next time that I get really reactive or however you want to define that in your relationship. But playing this maybe all the way through without talking or playing it and pausing it at points when you want to talk, it's a really good way to jumpstart conversations with the people you love because it's really important that you find time to talk about this stuff in moments when you're not triggered, when you're not splitting, when you're not really dysregulated. You need to find moments of calm so that you can have these calm discussions so that then when things get rough and spicy, as we like to say here, you've got a game plan. You've already talked about this together. There's no discussing things in a calm and rational way when you're splitting and triggered. So before we dive into the YouTube video of Doc Snipes, I'm going to play a voicemail from one of my listeners named Scott. Hi, Molly. This is Scott. I'm 67 years old calling from Dallas, Texas. I've listened to literally every single one of your episodes with the exception maybe of the uh, the one on women's periods wasn't really that applicable. Although I did listen to it for a few seconds just to make sure it wasn't. The thing I'm calling about is men and age. I've listened again to all of your episodes and you just don't have that much, that many men talking about this. this men have this too. And I think the secrecy associated with this is much greater with men than with women. Men are really hesitant to come out and talk about this, and especially older men like myself. I was very fortunate after struggling with this all my life. About a year ago, I finally found a psychologist here in, in the Dallas area who said, these are the kind of attributes that you have, and let's work on this. And it's been life-changing to say the least. And your podcast probably has given me more clarity in a quick way than anything else. All of a sudden, my life has come into focus. It's really been great. So men and older men, let's talk some. Thanks. Bye. Scott, I love this voicemail so much. I have to admit, I laughed out loud when you said that all of the episodes were applicable except for the female period one. I laughed, cackled, if you will, out loud. I will say to everyone out there, to anyone who does not have a menstrual cycle out there, the menstrual cycle episode is really good to listen to. If everyone on earth understood menstrual cycles, the world would be a better place. I think everyone would do well to listen to my menstrual cycle awareness episode because no matter who you are, you're interacting with women with periods. So do yourself a favor and tune in. You may learn a thing or two. And you may surprise someone that you actually know and are informed about menstrual cycles. And there's a lot we can learn just from the cyclical nature of life. I've even heard of men who gain a lot from learning about menstrual cycle awareness because it helps them take a more cyclical approach to their own life. So you never know, Scott. Tune into the menstrual cycle episode and then get back to me and let me know. But 
jokes aside, thank you for this voicemail. Thank you for highlighting this. I absolutely know that there are men out there, and especially older men with BPD, and I can imagine that there is just... I don't know if I would say that the secrecy is greater, but it's certainly different, I can imagine, and it it looks and presents completely differently. And I would imagine, because it's seen as such a predominantly female disorder, that it would be even more complicated to have conversations or open dialogue with people around you about it. So I'm full of empathy for that. I can't say I understand because I'm not in your shoes. But I also provided some additional color to this, ironically, last week. And I'm sure last week, Scott, when you heard the episode of another male listener who called in who was also raised in the rural South, um, that the perspective and research I shared about just the gender bias in this diagnosis is stark. So thank you for calling in. I am so glad to hear that you found a psychologist who said that these are attributes that you have. Let's work on this. I love that language. Not saying you have this, you have a disorder. It's like maybe, yeah, maybe you can identify with the traits or attributes of what is described as borderline personality disorder, but let's work on this. Let's take a forward-looking approach. And I'm so glad to hear you mention that my podcast has helped bring your life into focus. What a beautiful way to describe that. And I'm deeply honored that my work can help you understand yourself better. And I want each and every one of you to know out there is that regardless of your age, your gender, your sexuality, these symptoms that we all experience are such a great unifier. These are painful, deep, existential feelings, these traits of this thing that they call BPD, these symptoms we experience, they unify us and they know no gender, race, sexuality. It's we're all going through this together. And if there's anything beautiful about it, I guess that could be it. We're all connected in this way. We're all going through so many of the same things and we all can get through this. It's just about learning about ourselves. The most painful part is when we're unconscious to stuff and when you go to an amazing therapist or psychologist or have a really strong loved one in your life that can come to you and say i love you but this is some stuff that's really bothering me and i i want us to work on this together those aha moments that i talk about those maybe i'm the problem moments the moments that are empowering for me when i realized my i'm the problem moment i thought oh shoot I'm the problem. I'm the common denominator in the suffering in my life right now, and I want to change that, and I have the power to change it. So thank you, Scott, so, so much for your beautiful, beautiful voicemail. I'm so honored to have you on the podcast. I welcome every single human being to this podcast. We are all in this together. So without further ado, what better way to segue into this YouTube video of Dr. Donnelly Snipes. But before we dive into this, I wanted to read you a little bit about Doc Snipes. Her YouTube channel is absolutely fantastic. It is a goldmine. If you can't afford therapy, channels like this, our parents and our parents' parents, 
had no access to materials like this. This is the kind of stuff that being available gives me hope. Yes, there's some really crappy parts of our more connected culture like Instagram and TikTok and how we can get really addicted to these things, but then there are such beautiful sides, right? We can't split on social media or some of these amazing technological advancements that we are getting to enjoy because the fact that channels like Doc Snipes on YouTube exist is absolutely mind-blowing to me. So her YouTube channel is Doc Snipes, so that's D-O-C-S-N-I-P-E-S, and I will link to her YouTube channel in the description. I encourage you to go binge hours upon hours of her content, and you will become more and more self-aware with every video. I love her approach. I don't recommend just any mental health content creator. I am very, very picky about who I would recommend to all of you. So let's read a little bit about Doc Snipes from her website. Dr. Donnelly Snipes received her PhD in counseling and education in 2002 and is a licensed clinical psychotherapist in Tennessee and Florida, life coach, sober coach, and personal trainer. Doc Snipes has been involved in the health and wellness field for 20 years. She uses an integrative approach to recovery that considers the interaction between your physical health, emotions, thoughts, environment, and relationships. Dr. Snipes is trauma-informed and kink and poly-aware and strives to create a welcoming environment. She focuses mainly on helping people improve their quality of life and addressing issues including addiction, substances, sex, pornography, anxiety, depression, dementia, eating disorders, infidelity, grief, relationship issues, and stress. So that's a little bit about Dr. Snipes. She is a really cool chick. I love her approach, and I also really love that she's trauma-informed. She uses an integrative approach. I love the fact that she really thinks about the mind body, emotions, thoughts, the environment that we're in, the people that are around us. This is really important to me when I am seeking out the content of mental health professionals as well as someone to work with myself. And I encourage my listeners also to seek out someone who takes an integrative trauma-informed approach, especially if you identify with traits of BPD because it's very easy for us to fall into the offices of highly stigmatized professionals who may not have the most up-to-date research. Not demonizing them, but I'm just saying I wouldn't want to trust my mental health in the hands of someone who does not do everything they can to be trauma-informed, integrative, and on the cutting edge of mental health research. So let's go ahead and dive into this video. As I mentioned before, it's called Supporting a loved one with BPD quick start guide. And most of Doc Snipes videos are like one hour to two hours long, but this one is a shorter one, which I liked because I am going to be pausing it in between when I have a comment or I'd like to add something. So if you'd like to listen to the full video uninterrupted with my commentary after the episode, you can go ahead and find that in the episode description. So let's dive right in. 
Hey there everybody and welcome to this video on supporting a loved one with borderline personality disorder. I'm your host, Dr. Donnelly Snipes. There is a lot that I could cover in this video, but this is designed to be a short one. So I'm just going to provide you with a few tips that may help you support a loved one with borderline personality disorder. It's important to recognize that borderline describes where the person teeters, where they live pretty much all the time. Think about walking a tightrope. They feel like they are constantly balancing between safety and danger, between acceptance and rejection, between me and you or themselves and you. So they're always walking that tightrope. And just like a tightrope, it doesn't take much. It's not like you can make an error and not fall. So as soon as they make an error, they may feel like they're in free fall. I love her description of borderline personality disorder, even though it's not exactly how it was coined. As we've talked about it before, the initial group of psychiatrists in the 1930s who coined the term borderline, it was because these patients that they were observing were A, confusing the hell out of them, and B, they deemed them to be kind of on the borderline between neurosis and psychosis. And I always just... I didn't like that and I also take issue with it because it was just like this grasping at straws observation from a bunch of confused dudes or not even a bunch a few which is even worse but I love how Doc Snipes describes borderline as this tightrope and you know it really helps me because when I speak so passionately on my Instagram about how strongly I feel about needing to do away with the label borderline personality disorder the comments that i do get from people who don't mind the label i've gotten a few that say something like this where they say i i really feel like the term borderline really accurately describes how i feel and i always kind of wondered about that and i hearing doc snipes describe this tightrope feeling i'm going wow okay i understand what these people are saying and i get how we could identify with being on the borderline why do you think i made my podcast back from the borderline i actually don't even mind the word borderline what i take issue with is the personality disorder part because I can really identify with this teetering as she describes between safety and danger between me and you walking that tightrope and also just imagining how it looks when someone's walking a tightrope you could just push them a tiny bit and they completely fall it really tracks with how marsha linehan the creator of dbt therapy she says that people who identify with bpd they are like burn victims with no emotional skin if you have no skin if someone touches you you can imagine how bad that hurts or if you've ever had a seriously bad burn if someone just touches your hand it doesn't hurt but if you have a burn on that hand and someone just lightly taps that skin it's going to be incredibly painful so i really love this description and the way that doc snipes talks about that teetering tightrope feeling because it really is accurate to how so many of us feel borderline personality disorder usually develops in people who have experienced trauma that resulted in alterations in their brain actual brain structural changes in the amygdala and the hippocampus happen when people experience trauma 
Now, where did those traumas come from? You, you know, that person only knows. Some people are born wired differently. They may be highly sensitive to stimuli in their environment. And there are a lot of issues like schizophrenia and ADHD and autism spectrum disorders that are associated with what's called sensory gating difficulties, which means the brain doesn't interpret sensory input the same way. So what feels like a gentle touch to you may feel excruciating to that person. Well, as an infant, they had no way to communicate that. So as an infant, their environment may have been very traumatizing and people kept doing it or minimizing or invalidating the way they felt because they didn't experience the same reaction to that sensation. Putting a toddler in a bath that the parent or caregiver thinks is lukewarm, well, the toddler may perceive if they have sensory differences, they may perceive that water as scalding or, on the other hand, very, very cold. Since the caregiver doesn't feel the same difference, they think that the toddler is being oppositional and instead of reacting in a compassionate manner, may invalidate that toddler's experience in the world, which is very traumatic. So I don't know about you, but I think it's so cute and funny how she says toddler, toddler, the toddler. <laughs> By the way, she's adorable. Um, she reminds me of a character in like an 80s, like Breakfast at Tiffany's or something. Like she looks like a teacher from Breakfast at Tiffany's. I don't know why she gives me those vibes, but look her up and tell me, if you agree. But back to the fantastic content of her video. She so accurately describes two things that I think a lot of people have a hard time understanding and it's really hard to succinctly put into words the complex topics she just covered there. She talked about how trauma changes our brain and so many of us think oh my childhood wasn't that bad i didn't go through trauma and my parents loved me and i don't doubt that for a second but what doc snipes so incredibly describes here is how we're wired differently we have different sensory needs and so often little invalidations like this bath like the toddler in the bath that she describes a parent filling up a bath and a child screaming when they get in the bath i mean i growing up in the 90s like 80s 90s you know parents are like stop being so such a diva or stop being so dramatic just get in the bath blah 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 right that's a parent a stressed out parent just doing the best they can but maybe that and the, the, the parent's hand is in the water and they don't feel it's hot so why is this baby freaking out but maybe this baby is so incredibly sensitive and that water is burning their skin some people cannot even feel like a scratchy tag in their pants like for me i know that i'm very highly sensitive if there is even a tiny bit of discomfort in my clothing i will have a horrible day for the rest of the day and the next person might think molly you're being a drama you're being a drama queen there's that's no big deal we must be sensitive to each other's differences and vulnerabilities because we are all wired differently 
These sensory differences can contribute to serious trauma as a child where our parents won't even know. And this is what is described as that invalidating environment or invalidating experiences. And trauma is labeled as there's big T trauma and little t trauma. Big T trauma are things like sexual assault, natural disasters, a parent being sent to prison, domestic abuse in the home, addiction, these kind of things. But then there are little t traumas, these small emotional invalidations, emotional neglect, spiritual neglect, even this bath time description that Doc Snipes gave in this piece. So it's so incredibly important that we understand how we're wired. We also describe that to our partners and we are not invalidating each other. If our partner is saying they're highly sensitive to noise or touch, we have to communicate that, ask for what we would need differently, and then as partners, we need to accept that as well. So this is an invitation to open up and discuss with one another what are, how are you wired and what did your partner or loved one go through when they were growing up and maybe do they have trauma that they're dealing with and how can you work through that in your relationship so i highly encourage having deep discussions about that in times of calm and regulation within your relationship because for that toddler they're always on alert they always feel like they're in danger of pain pain from the people that are our caregivers and they don't know how to communicate that and they don't know how to stay safe. Other people may have had what are objectively considered traumatic experiences. There's been a lot of research on adverse childhood experiences and those can come when there is a caregiver that is emotionally or physically unavailable because of substance misuse or mental health issues. They can come from experiencing or witnessing violence or abuse of any sort or neglect. Uh, so there are a lot of different things that can cause trauma. What's more important is to recognize that the brains of people with borderline personality disorder or borderline personality type symptoms, even if they don't meet the full criteria for BPD, probably experience trauma and or probably have brains that react differently to stressors than yours does. They're not intentionally, quote, overreacting. Their brains and their HPA axis or their threat response system operate differently with stronger reactions to situations and they require a longer time to re-regulate. So instead of dumping a little bit of cortisol and adrenaline when something happens, their brain just opens the floodgates. And as a result, it takes longer for them to get back to baseline. Telling them to just get over it or let it go only compounds their sense of isolation and unsafeness. This, do not tell someone who identifies with BPD to just calm down. It's not a big deal. You're being dramatic. Rolling your eyes. Deep sighing. If you do that, even if that is your reality, it's only going to make things worse. It's not going to do anything for you or them. 
and it really is invalidating their experience. It doesn't mean you need to let anybody walk over you, but the fact of the matter is, is that different people experience things differently and how she described how trauma really makes it to where any kind of threat opens the floodgates of cortisol and these fight or flight kind of chemicals in our body and saying to someone oh my god stop overreacting that's not going to achieve the desired outcome i talk in the podcast a lot about now as someone who identifies with ppd traits whenever i'm in an interaction i do my best to think what is my desired outcome right now and if i'm with a client at work maybe that's here's the call i have i need to get them a new contract i need to increase their user count in the software that i work with i always have objectives at work but i think we should have objectives in our conversations with the people we love too and it doesn't have to be as you know one two three as my as my work call example but for example when i'm talking to zaz my partner even if he's doing something that I perceive to be triggering or he's not listening to me, I think, what is my desired outcome right now? Even though I'm mad, I want to tune into what I'm feeling. Yep, maybe he rolled his eyes or he is not listening to me. I'm not perceiving him to be listening to me. I still want to experience love and connection. Love and connection is my desired outcome with Zaz right now. So how can I communicate my needs and what I'm observing and what I'm feeling right now so that I can foster love and connection? So rather than saying something like, you never listen to me, right? That's splitting. Saying that he never listens to me, that's actually not true. If I think about whether that's true, there are objective times he has listened to me. So I could reframe this in like a nonviolent communication framework way, which I will do an entire episode on NBC framework communication in the future, but saying something like focusing on what you're feeling is always a good idea, not saying you always, you never, you should. So saying it feels when you're not looking at me, when you're looking at your phone, it makes me feel like you're not listening to me, which makes me feel really sad. Do you think that you could pause? Do you have time right now to tune in and listen? Or should we start talking about this later, right? That's a way where I can communicate my needs, still fostering love and connection with Zaz without splitting and making it into a big problem. So that's just a really good example of how we can do that. But as people who identify with BPD, it's important to be aware, tuned into the fact that your brain is on high alert. And I often tell myself, I'm safe. Nothing's coming to hurt me. This is just my brain trying to trick me into believing that this is like a fight, flight, or flee thing. And I'm safe. I'm in my home. And I want to choose my desired outcome right now rather than letting my emotions just yank me around. It takes a lot of self-control, but you can get there. People with borderline personality have often been rejected, causing their symptoms and or as a result of their symptoms. So when they are rejected, it makes them feel unsafe. It makes them feel isolated. It leaves them, especially if this started happening when they were a child and they never were able to develop the skills and tools they needed to stay safe. Every time they're rejected, it makes them feel broken or like something's wrong with them. This is so important. 
it's so vital to understand the deep deep pain that those of us who identify with these symptoms feel and actually go through it's a very real lived experience when we perceive that we are being rejected it takes me all the way back to my childhood when i would be dramatic or have a big emotional outburst as a young child i was told to go to my room and when i would come back out to try to talk to my parents and express myself i was ignored and put back in my room and this is not against my parents I've done a lot of work on all of this. My mom and dad only knew what they knew and what their parents did to them. And quite frankly, my treatment was a huge improvement upon how my both of my parents were treated in their home. But I was told to go away. Be quiet. You're too much. Go away. And I was left in my room all by myself. I was never taught how to work through my big feelings or self-soothe. And so I would sob and cry, cry, and cry. And no one would come soothe me. No one would come help me work through my big feelings. I cried myself to sleep so many times. I was sent to my room so many times. And I can I can feel myself going back to that stage right now. It was incredibly painful and lonely. And so many of us who identify with these symptoms, when we perceive rejection, we're thrown straight back into that childlike state. And I want to reiterate how real that feels. So anyone who is an ally or a supporter of someone who identifies with these symptoms can really understand that we go straight back to that childhood state in these moments and we don't have the skills to self-soothe and so that's why it's so important to have these conversations when we're regulated right now like we are on this podcast together to know and identify when those big feelings come up it's so vital for those of us who identify with BPD to be able to say, I'm I'm not a child anymore, I'm safe, I can protect myself right now. And for partners of those of us with BPD or family members to just know that that's what's going on and to know that it will pass and that there's no point in trying to reason or trying to shame someone out of that state or tell them it's not that big of a deal because in our minds, in that moment, it does feel that way it's important to understand that prior experiences the person had created triggers that might prompt dysregulation that seems spontaneous or seems to come from out of the blue the point is there are triggers there it may be a smell it may be a time of day it may be a place that you pass or a holiday uh, a particular sound it depends on the person and what the situation was. It's important for the person to recognize that they've been triggered. Don't get caught up in the whys or, or the what's for that matter. You know, what was it that triggered you right now? When they are upset, when they are dysregulating, when they're spiraling, whatever word you want to use for it. It's much more important at that point in time to help them get safe to, and to do this simply consistently respond, say, okay, I can see you're spiraling, whatever word they, they feel more comfortable using, validate their experience. They feel terrified. They feel, um, out of control. However they feel validate that experience. Even if you're not sharing that experience. 
you can see that they're experiencing. So validate it. You know, I can see you're feeling a lot of pain right now. Empathize with how that must feel for them. You know, if you were feeling that kind of pain, you know, what would you want somebody to say to you? Empathize with them about how awful it must be or how frustrating or exhausting it must be to feel that intensity of emotion and support them in tolerating the distress and riding the wave. Most of the time, these urges will, or triggers or emotional reactions will happen. The person may spiral. So the wave comes in and it crests and it goes out in about 20 minutes or so. Now that doesn't mean they're, you know, hunky-dory after that. But that means the worst part is over. It's important to help them ride that wave until it starts to subside. What can you do? And you can ask them, what can I do to help you feel safe until you can re-regulate? These are some gems that she shares right here. I want to dig into some of this and unpack it even more. She talks about don't get caught up in the what's or the why's. This is so vital. She said when they're triggered or spiraling, it's just important to help them get safe. And to do this, consistently respond with, I can see you're spiraling. For me, I can say, I don't think I would want someone to say, Azaz to say, I can see you're spiraling right now, Molly. I would probably be like, um, excuse me, that wouldn't help. But this is why you need to have these conversations. So the fact that if you're sitting here listening with someone that you love, and I encourage you to listen to this together, is what do you want me to say to you in those moments? And kind of I'm what I wrote down and I'm taking notes. This is the first time I'm listening to this too because I want you all to get my genuine reaction. I don't script any of this. I'm just going off the cuff. What I would want Zaz to say to me is, how are you feeling right now? Get the person that identifies with BPD to tell you Instead of, I can see you're spiraling, you know, don't make up something and color their experience. I would want Saz to say, how are you feeling right now? And sometimes I don't know what the hell I'm feeling. And so when someone asks me what I'm feeling, I get freaked out. And so then if they're like, I don't know, and just say, are you in pain? Are you scared? You know, give, give them some, you know, prompts. Are you feeling out of control? Do you feel unsafe? that would be a great thing. Do you feel unsafe right now? And I guarantee you that probably if you throw that out, they'll say yes. And then at that point, you can move into this empathizing that Doc Snipes talks about of saying, you know, if you were feeling that pain, what would you want someone to say to you? And just saying, I'm going to be here with you. Let's just, let's just sit here together. Remind them that this is the wave I always tell my friends, I have many friends who identify with BPD because I've gathered them over these the year that I've done this podcast. We always talk about the wave. This is a wave. And if you're in the crest of that wave, it can feel like you're drowning, but it will always subside. I've never cried forever. I've never felt depressed forever. It eventually passes. And if you can just be someone to say, I'm not going anywhere. I am here for you. I know you feel unsafe right now. But let's just say 
that there are times, because as I'm listening to this too, I'm thinking back, there are times when there has been such a bad BPD blowout that Zaz has like, he's a, he's a, I'm getting up and leaving kind of guy when stuff gets rough. And I get that because sometimes things get so extreme and so out of control that some people, as they're wired differently, they want to, they need some space. And if someone needs space, that's the most triggering thing for someone with BPD traits. That's when I've found myself like running alongside of a car when someone is just trying to like go take some time away from me. So it's really important that you articulate your need and say, I love you so much. I'm just going to go walk around the block a couple of times. I just need to ease my mind. I'm going to be back, but I will be back, right? I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to be here, but I need so that I can be here for you. I need to go take care of myself really quick and calm down and then I'll be back in X minutes, X hours, whatever. That's how you can work together as a team. So I'm hoping that these suggestions were helpful for you, but discussing these things now in these moments of calm regulation and really saying like, how are we going to tackle this when a wave comes? And that's when, when you're in a, a crisis you the partner can say it's just a wave it's a wave and i'm here for you during the wave how are you feeling are you feeling unsafe right now i can imagine how that feels i'm here let's just wait until it passes together once they've re-regulated once they are back down into their wise mind as we call it backward chaining can be helpful saying okay You know, that was an exhausting experience. Let's look backwards and see what might have contributed to that so we can learn from it. Explore with the person situations that make them more vulnerable to dysregulation and develop prevention and wellness plans. If they tend to be more vulnerable to dysregulation when they are physically tired or if they're sick or they're in pain, okay. Well, what can we do about that? How can I help you prevent those things? And when you are tired, sick, or in pain, what things can we do to help you feel safer and less vulnerable during those periods? Affectively, we all have periods where we're grieving or we're angry or we're stressed about something. You know, those are normal emotions. But if somebody has that going on already, that means their pressure cooker is already, you know, wide open and any additional stress could be more than, than the pressure cooker can handle, so to speak. So it's important to recognize affectively when you're stressed about something, um, what number one, what types of things cause you additional distress and when you are feeling stress, how can I help you? feel safer? How can I help you feel more in control? This is really important what she's mentioning here. First, she mentions wise mind and wise mind is a concept from dialectical behavior therapy. Wise mind is the opposite of emotion mind in this therapy. You want to be in wise mind means you're regulated. It means you're able to balance logic and emotion. We don't want to always be thinking with purely logic and no emotion because then we'd be a complete robotic sociopath. But we can't be thinking with all emotion either because logic is important. Wise mind is somewhere in the middle. That's why splitting isn't great, right? Because nothing on planet Earth 
is completely black or completely white. There's always these shades of gray in between. So it's important to do all of this when you're in wise mind, which is hopefully what you're in right now when you're listening to this podcast. And I loved the concept that she talks about backward chaining. And really, that's just a fancy way of saying doing what we're doing now, right now. You need to plan ahead. You can't be doing any of this planning when you're in a dysregulated state. It's so important to have a game plan. And she talks about, you know, when you're tired, sick, or in pain. My therapist, Bev, who is just a fabulous human being who I worked with last year, she's a DBT trained therapist. She always told me, assess your vulnerabilities, Molly. Assess your vulnerabilities. Because I can tell you, when I haven't showered, and sometimes, let's be real, when we're feeling like crap, I'm just not going to take a shower today. Oh, whatever. I'm just going to drink a coffee and then start working from home right away. And then I'm not going to eat anything for four hours. Uh, I don't feel like going on a walk today. Uh, I'm so depressed. I don't want to move. So by 2 p.m., I've had coffee. I haven't moved my body. I've just done work. I haven't had anything to drink. And maybe I'm close to being on my period. That is a recipe for me being in the worst mental state I could be. Assess your vulnerabilities. It's so important. And we, we look past this stuff all the time. Have you had enough water? Have you had a healthy snack? Even if that's just a couple of scoops of almond butter. I'll tell you what, almond butter was my best friend when I was depressed because it's full of protein and you can just choke down a couple of spoonfuls. Don't try to, to eat that stuff dry though. I would choke down a couple of spoonfuls of almond butter and chase it down with a glass of almond milk or oat milk or something. And that would sometimes be the meal I could do, but that's better than nothing when I was really depressed. You need to have high protein, high fat snacks, lots of water, try to not just drink caffeine only, get your ass out there for your stupid walk, for your stupid mental health, as we lovingly refer to it on this podcast. Get a moment of silence in your day. Get some sunlight. You got to move your body. Get that water. Get the healthy snacks. Have the sunlight. You got to do these things because you're going to be in a state that's just fit for explosives and rage. That's assessing your vulnerabilities. When we're tired, stressed, sick, or in pain, we're much more likely to have an episode. And that's for anyone. You know, there's that Snickers commercial in the United States. And if you're from the U.S., maybe it plays in the U.K. too, but it's always these people that like turn into these absolute like monsters when they're hungry and they'll say like, you're not yourself when you're hangry, have a Snickers, right? Which a Snickers is the worst freaking thing to have when you're hungry. I would not recommend a Snickers to actually like get healthy fats and proteins in your body, but they're not lying in that commercial. You're not yourself when you're hungry. We need to assess our vulnerabilities. So person who identifies with BPD, it's really important to tell your partner, and I tell this stuff to Zaz all the time, if you see me not showering or not drinking enough water or not taking my walk, like I want you to encourage me to do that and remind me gently, like assess your vulnerabilities. Sometimes I'll be sitting downstairs just like staring into the abyss and Zaz will come down and just go, hey, you good? Like, have you gone on your walk? Have you had water? And that is so incredibly helpful for me because even if I'm like grumbly, like, just let me sit here and stare into the abyss. I know he's right, especially 
because we've had these conversations beforehand when I'm in wise mind I'm like Zaz if you see me staring into the abyss make sure you ask me xyz we can't expect our partners to read our minds this is why we have these conversations beforehand plan and then when the thing happens when we're staring into the abyss the partner can put the plan in action and then it puts the power in our hands go assess your vulnerabilities same thing with cognitions if they are having unhelpful negative thoughts you know what things trigger those thoughts and in what ways uh can you best deal with those and each person is going to deal with their inner critic and their negative thinking styles and pessimism in di slightly different ways environmentally and this is one we don't often consider but what things make you more vulnerable to dysregulation if somebody is an introvert or has social anxiety then being in an environment where there's a lot of people even the grocery store or the mall or you know a work um, party that you have to go to mandatory fun all of those things can be extraordinarily stressful and can create the situation where the person is more vulnerable to dysregulation they're, they're already stressed to the brink they're barely keeping their balance on that tightrope it doesn't take but a little wind to throw them off balance and relationally what things in relationships in communication styles in nonverbals um, tend to make you feel more vulnerable you know what things have you experienced in the past that may make you feel more vulnerable in relationships now and what's the best way that we can handle them and it's important to connect with that person and ask them you know what is most helpful we want to empower them to give us strategies that are helpful for them i like how she talks about relationally talking about the things that make you feel really vulnerable so for me i can speak from my personal experience these little non-verbals can really trigger me so eye rolls deep heavy sighs those kinds of things someone like looking off into the distance when i'm talking to them that can make me feel like someone doesn't want me around real quick and i think that is the same for anyone but it can send me from zero to 150 really really fast and so i work on if i catch Saz doing that old molly might freak out and say you always roll your eyes you always sigh at me or oh my god you're no oh, you don't even want to be with me see like freaking out that kind of stuff but now if i see zaz doing something like that which he does <laughs> he still does it i'll say when you roll your eyes when i'm just trying to express my feelings i feel really rejected by you that's it that's the truth that's how I genuinely feel. It's not you always roll your eyes because that's not a fact. He doesn't always. There are many times where he doesn't. This is the kind of thing. Really be careful with the all you always, you never, you should, these kinds of things. They are vast judgments and vast generalizations. And it's really hard to get taken seriously when you make these statements. Really do your best. This is for both people, the allies and loved ones, and people who identify with BPD. Do your best to focus on 
your feelings because that is always true. When you ba ba ba, I feel ba ba ba. That's a safe space to live. And that's a good place to jump off the conversation with. So talk about what are your vulnerabilities and relationships? What are the things that really freak you out? Also for me, long absences with no check-ins, like no like text check-ins or call check-ins. I don't need to be obsessively checked in with, but if you say you're leaving the house to go to the store and you're gone for five hours, I am going to lose my mind and think that you're dead. Or before I would think that the person was probably maybe cheating on me or something, but I don't have that fear with Zaz at this point. But like, I will genuinely start imagining you dead on the side of the road. So long absences with no check-ins really freak me out. So just shooting me a text and say, hey, I'm going to be out for a little bit longer. I'm totally safe. Hope you're doing good. That's it. I'm all good. So have these discussions with one another. What are the things in relationships that really trigger you? What are your vulnerabilities relationally? And also talk about what she mentioned too, environmentally. Do parties really freak you out? Can you talk beforehand, one of you, and say, hey, I might want to leave earlier, so let's have a plan for if I want to leave and you want to stay. Talk through all of the different outcomes beforehand, and then you're not going to be at a position where your partner wants to stay and they're like dancing on tables and you feel like you both have to leave at the exact same time otherwise your partner doesn't love you no you're individuals you're independent people game plan beforehand and respect each other's vulnerabilities from an environmental perspective too journaling prompts that can help you reflect on the times that the person is dysregulated are there similarities you know, sometimes we need help identifying things that make us more vulnerable to dysregulation. Even if somebody's been working with, uh, with this for many, many years, they, they may still have some blind spots. So reflect on times that you're aware of where the person dysregulated. Are there similarities? What in those situations might have made them feel unsafe, overwhelmed, or rejected? Mindfulness. People with borderline personality are exquisitely sensitive to others' feelings and reactions. So if you are feeling frustrated with this person, if you are feeling irritated with this person, even if you're trying to hide it, they are often going to sense it and it can be really exhausting for them. If you are feeling irritated or frustrated about something else completely different, a lot of times people with BPD overly personalize things. So they may assume that you are angry with them. So mindfulness is really important. Checking yourself and effectively communicating to them, you know, yes, I am really stressed out today, but it's got nothing to do with you. I had this thing at the office or I got this letter from the phone company or whatever it is. Making sure to openly communicate that what you're, what's prompting your feelings. I want to kiss Donna Lee Snipes. I do. I want to kiss her. And I want to kiss her because that was everything 
that little thing right there it was everything that's what we want to hear people who identify with bpd yes how she articulated that we can sense everything we can see that tiny eye flicker you made that little breath that you took we can sense when you are not feeling good and 99.99999% of the time we're going to think it's because of something we did and we will elaborately come up with something in our own mind to convince ourselves that it is something that we did it is the most kind and game-changing thing you can do as someone who is with anyone with that identifies with BPD traits to proactively say, hey, I'm really stressed today. It has nothing to do with you. I had the most horrible day at the office. Can I tell you about it? And vent to them. Oh, people who identify with BPD, I hope I'm not overly speaking for all of us, but I can safely say we love to hear people vent to us because it makes us feel like oh my god we're not the only ones who who have a horrible time in this relationship we want to be there for you we want to hear you vent to us so many times i hear partners of people with bpd saying oh i didn't want to open up to my partner because i didn't they're already so stressed out i didn't want to stress them out with my stress no stress us out with your stress it's not going to stress us out we're going to feel like so excited that we can be there and listen to you and we're also going to be so happy to know that it isn't our fault that you're sad or stressed or down or upset or if you're having existential down thoughts we want to know that we're not alone in it so open up to us and if you don't feel like that because that's okay sometimes you don't feel like talking about it saying hey i know that i seem so grouchy today I promise you, it has nothing to do with you. I just need to go take a long bath or I just need to go take a really long walk. I love you so much, but just I don't want you to think this has anything to do with you. Please tell us because we personalize everything. We're going to think it's our fault. We're going to think you hate us and that you're going to leave us. And by the time you get back from your walk, if you haven't prepped us with this, it's okay, it wasn't you, we're going to convince ourselves that it was that thing we said five years ago at the dinner party and you're finally leaving us now so just do that (laughs) please 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 communicate 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 when you are having a bad day and vent to us use us as a as a venting box because we love it and we want to be there for you and people who identify with ppd do not give unsolicited advice don't try to fix just be there and listen. Those of us who identify with BPD, I found out just as much as we want validation, we can be really bad at validating too. We can jump in and give advice and try to fix or make it about ourselves. Just shut up and listen because otherwise, if we don't do that, the person is not going to come to us in the future. So, ugh. I just loved what Dawn said here. So just had to stop and chop it up on that piece. But let's jump back into her video. Identify warning signs of spiraling in the person with BPD and develop a signal. Sometimes it can be helpful to have a support person who notices signs of of, of the person with BPD getting ready to spiral because a lot of times they may notice it sooner than the person with BPD. 
So they can come over and touch them on the shoulder or they can, maybe they have a, a catchphrase, you know, maybe you, why don't you go get a drink of water or whatever it is that can be used in any kind of situation that the person's in very discreetly to let the person know, hey, it seems like you are starting to become destabilized or getting ready to spiral. <laughs> Dude, do not ask someone who identifies with BPD, are you, are you about to spiral? Are you spiraling right now? <laughs> it's not going to go down well. I can assure you that. Bless dog snipes. But the thing is, this is why I think that these reaction videos are so good because I think it's so fantastic to have this contrast between a professional and then just someone who's kind of going through it because I can kind of bring it down to earth for us. Because I really do think so many of our loved ones, they go and listen to videos like this with dog snipes and then they go to their BPD loved one and they're like, are you spi are you beginning to spiral right now? And it doesn't really go down well. And then the person, the loved one is like, what the hell? Like I'm doing my best here. But it's because you just really shouldn't ask someone, are you about to spiral right now? The gems in what she's saying is planning ahead identifying a signal or a catchphrase that can be used and it kind of unifies you. Zaz knows what the big empty is. For those of you who aren't loyal listeners of the podcast, I refer to chronic feelings of emptiness. This just, for those of us who identify with BPD, you'll understand this if you do. Sometimes you just get this feeling that washes over you. You don't know why. You don't know how it happened. It's like how Doc Snipe said earlier, don't get caught up in the what's or why's. Sometimes you won't be able to understand, but sometimes we get washed over with this feeling that we are not okay. And if you ask us what we're feeling, why we're feeling it, we won't know how to answer it. So Zaz and I will say, you know, is it the big empty? And I'm like, yep, yep, it's the big empty. So what are we going to do about it, right? The plan, put in the plan, assess the vulnerabilities. What can we do? Can you get a snack? Can we get some water? Can we go on a walk? One time at night, I was sitting at home. It was probably like six o'clock at night on a weeknight. And I just, Zaz said, is it the big empty? Because I kind of was staring off into the abyss. I got really down really fast for no reason. He said, let's go on a walk. Let's go. And I didn't want to. He's like, let's do it. And guess what? We went on a walk, a brisk walk, just like 20 minutes around the block. And I felt so much better afterwards. But it was a boom. He noticed it. Is it the big empty? Me. Yep. Okay. Let's go on a walk. This is part of the plan. You agreed to it. And even if I don't want to do it, I had to agree because I'm like, yep, it's part of the plan. So it's so important. I, I encourage you to use, is it the big empty? Try it. Try it. It works really well. And almost everybody I've met with BPD or who identifies with BPD, sorry, I still sometimes slip up on that. I don't believe anyone has BPD. They identify with the symptoms. They're going to identify with the big empty. Is it the big empty? Let's go. Let's do the plan. And then you have to figure out what the plan is for yourself because sometimes it'll be a walk. Sometimes it'll be a healthy snack. Sometimes it'll be something completely different that the two of you make up. But make a plan beforehand. Recognize, and I cannot stress this enough, recognize that if they dysregulate, when they dysregulate, because it will happen, it's exhausting. 
absolutely positively exhausting. And like running a marathon will require a recovery period because their brain, instead of going from, you know, fine to a little bit irritated, goes from okay to terrified or okay to enraged. That's exhausting. They're, they're using a lot of energy. They're having a major shift in their neurochemical balance. So it takes longer to recover. And just like a marathon, you know, some people run marathons in a couple of hours. Well, kind of about the same thing. You want to recognize that if that person has a full out dysregulation episode, it may take them several hours or even the rest of the day or more to fully recuperate physiologically from what happened. Work with the person and their therapist to understand how to set and maintain boundaries. People with borderline personality can have difficulty in relationships because they're torn between wanting to feel safe and being terrified of being vulnerable. So it's important to work with them and their therapist. Obviously ask if you can be involved in their therapy to learn how to best support them. A lot of times people with borderline personality have always been told it's your fault. You're the problem. You need to go get fixed. And nobody else has said, how can I help you? How can I support you in this process? How can I be a lifeline? So by showing an interest, showing a willingness to try to be supportive, to try to understand what it must be like to live in their body, you are validating their experience and may help them to feel more supported. This is so beautiful. It might have been the most beautiful thing she said. I said I wanted to kiss her before, but seriously, a few things I picked up on in this last little snippet. Notice how she keeps saying people with borderline personality, and she intentionally leaves off the word disorder. I have a feeling that that's an intentional thing, and I really appreciate that from Doc Snipes. Even if it isn't intentional, I appreciate it. Because you can tell that Doc Snipes has her own definition of borderline, this tightrope kind of teetering. And I like that. I like that she leaves off disorder. I do. Um, she mentions asking getting involved in their therapy. That's a really beautiful thing. And I think that if your partner or loved one who identifies with BPD who is in therapy, that's that's a great thing. What she said was so many people with BPD have felt like the people in their lives have said, you know, you need to go get fixed. That is go fix yourself. You're a problem. We've always felt like a problem, like we're broken, like we're always going to be end ending up alone. And she said, no one's ever asked, how can I help you? How can I be a lifeline? It almost made me want to cry because we haven't had anyone show a willingness to understand us or wonder what it must be like to be in our body, in our heads. And that in itself is so validating. So if you can do that as a loved one, let us know that you just want to help. You want to be a lifeline for us. 
then that's going to be incredibly helpful. And for those of us who identify with BPD, know that your partner can't do all the work. I Like I said before, I maintain it's like an 80% on the person who identifies with BPD and 20% on the other person. But it also depends on what's the mix of trauma. You know what I'm saying? If both of you have serious trauma issues going on, this is going to be a 50-50 effort between the two of you. But if you happen to be a partner of someone who identifies with BPD and you are one of the very rare humans that are perfectly securely attached, had parents who just knocked it out of the Fenway Park in terms of parenting and validating, well, congratulations to you, first and foremost. Let us know what that was like. Please call me. Let me know. And know that you know, it's mostly on your partner with BPD to be aware and, but just to do this thing of how can I help you? How can I be a lifeline? You are not broken. We're in this together. That's a beautiful stance to take and something that this person has likely never, ever encountered before. A couple more journaling prompts. BPD is exhausting for both the person and the people who love them. Remembering that. What reactions do you have to your loved one that might trigger their fears of rejection? What is the basis of those feelings? And how can you own those feelings with your loved one? For example, if somebody is going through a bad period and they are dysregulating kind of frequently, (coughs) you may feel very frustrated. And it may be important to own those feelings and say, you know, I'm really, you've been having a lot of dysregulating episodes lately and I feel really frustrated because I feel helpless or I feel bad for you going through this. So they recognize that you're not angry with them, you're angry with the condition. So that's the end of the video there. She ends on a really beautiful note here, highlighting that it's exhausting For the person who identifies with BPD as well as the people who love us. It is equally tiring and it's so nice to have this conversation. Zaz and I have had many of these conversations after his initial opening up to me about feeling emotionally abused. That was the, we broke open at that point and we were able to have this cascade of beautiful conversations since then, but be able to share in that how difficult it is to navigate our traumas bumping up against one another and almost like my these symptoms are not me and so us talking about how are we going to deal with these symptoms because they're not you molly and when i am in an episode or i am splitting i'm not myself and so we can kind of separate these things from who I am and talk about how we're going to deal with the big empty, right? Or how we're going to deal with the episodes when they arise and get through the wave. And I encourage you as someone who loves someone who identifies with BPD, the importance of owning your feelings. You can't just take it and take it and take it. And the people who identify with BPD, we don't want that from you. So You just have to game plan in moments of wise mind and regulation and talk about how you're going to do this. Use the nonviolent communication framework of when you X, I feel Y. Plan beforehand. Listen to this episode with one another as many times as it takes. Pause it at, at moments, at key moments, 
and decide what you're going to do. If you are someone who identifies with BPD and you're figuring out how you want to talk to your loved one, then maybe listen to this episode a few times beforehand and decide what what it is you need. It's really important that you think about yourself. What are what is your bio temperament? What are your triggers? Think this stuff through before you just flood this episode on someone you love, right? Think about it, listen to it a few times, write down and come prepared to the conversation and say, can we listen to this episode together? I took some notes and I really want to make sure that we have a game plan, right? And if you are a loved one of someone who identifies with these traits, then do the same thing. Write down the things that have triggered you, write down how you feel, what it is you need, and then come to them and say, hey, can we listen to this together? And can we make a game plan? Because I love you. I know that this is not you and I'm going to be here for you. I know that this is exhausting for both of us. I love you and I'm here. How can I be a lifeline? How can I help you? I want to do this together. So I really hope this episode was incredibly helpful for anyone who's struggling with the symptoms of BPD or anyone who loves someone who is. And at this point of the podcast is when I remind you that support for this podcast comes from you, my listeners, via my ACAST Premium Access Membership, which you can access on my website at backfromtheborderline.com. And this podcast is becoming my full-time job. It's how I want to earn a living. So if you listen to this podcast and it's helped you, if it's given you solace or entertainment or it's helping with your healing journey, I'd love it if you would consider paying me for the work that I'm doing. And all I'm looking for is the price of a cup of coffee or two a month. That's it. But if you can't afford that, you don't have to worry about it. You can listen for free because the person who can afford it is paying for you to listen for free. So it's a win-win. Everybody gets a podcast. I get to earn a living and it's a beautiful model based upon kindness and mutual support. So I'd urge you to become a premium access subscriber if you can afford a couple of cups of coffee a month my way because that's what keeps this podcast completely and fully independent. I'm not beholden to any advertiser and what makes podcasts and all media just kind of crappy is when advertisers step into a creative space and say, we're sponsoring this. Now you need to change how you make the thing you make in order to accommodate our advertisements. If this podcast was sponsored by a big brand, they might come in and say, don't talk about BPD this week. Don't talk about self-harm this week or suicidal thoughts this week. We don't want you doing that. It's not going to get a lot of likes, clicks, listens, and we're paying for this with our brand. So instead, can you do an interview with XYZ person? People will get really pissed off online about it and you'll get a lot of views. So could you do that instead? Because if you don't, we're not going to sponsor your podcast. And I really don't want to operate like that. I want to be able to tell advertisers like that to kick rocks. I want to make what I want to make. And each week on my podcast, I want it to be something I'm genuinely passionate about. I want to make the content that will help you. So when the podcast is actually funded by you, my listeners, then I have the freedom to do that. And don't just support my independent podcast or art, support whatever other independent podcaster or artist 
that you enjoy and you listen to or partake of their art. And it doesn't have to be monetary support to support me. You can like the podcast, follow it on the podcast app that you subscribe to, share the podcast on your social media, speak about it, recommend it to a friend or your therapist, leave me a review. These are all ways that you can help independent podcasters like me in an environment where independent podcasters and artists are being crushed by big corporate goals. So that's it from me this week. Usually, I'll give you a sneak preview of the premium episode this week, but the premium episode this week is going to be some reflections on my trip home. And I'll be sharing how I have found my trip home this week, how I've navigated triggers with my family and my vacation. So if you want to unlock that episode, you can go ahead and go to backfromtheborderline.com and click unlock premium access, and then you will be able to drop into my super private podcast feed where you'll be able to unlock literally hours and hours and hours of premium access episodes that I've dropped in the last few months where I share more openly and intimately with my premium subscribers about my recovery journey. So I hope to welcome you, but if not, I hope you've enjoyed this episode and I will leave you with this. I love you all so very much. Please, please, please share this. I can't wait to hear from all of you. Please submit me voicemails, write me emails, let me know if this episode has helped you. If you're someone who loves someone with BPD or if you identify with it and it's helped you in your relationship, I can't wait to hear from you. I have my DMs turned off on Instagram because Instagram sucks, <laughs> but please email me at backfromtheborderline at gmail.com or you can even better send me a voicemail. Maybe both of you can send me a voicemail. I'd love to get voicemails with a few people on the line being like, yay, we listened and we loved it. So please, please do. So I love you all so very much. Have an amazing rest of your day and I'll talk to you next time. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Back from the Borderline. If you'd like to receive my monthly written recovery musings via Substack directly to your inbox, send me a voicemail, join the Patreon community, or check out my Amazon booklist recommendations, visit backfromtheborderline.com and click to access my link tree.